Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 20, Acts 20, uh, verses 17 through 38 is where we're going to be. The opportunity to commission Scott and Julie Blum and their family this morning uh, fits very well with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk about the idea of leaving a legacy. Maybe that's something you've thought of. Maybe it's not. Most of us at some point have thought, uh, what kind of legacy will I leave when I'm gone? Uh, When I'm gone, if you're a student, perhaps from A&M or Blinn, what will you be remembered for when you're gone from this life? What will you be remembered for? All of us would say, I think if we're asked, that we want to leave a good legacy behind. We want to leave something that lasts. Uh, Some of you, maybe you have a will, and in that will you have specified where your earthly possessions will go. Your money, uh, your possessions, all of those things that you own. uh, Maybe they're going to go to family, maybe to uh, charity or whoever it may be. Some of us have thought about that. Uh, I ran across, not too long ago, a number of different will bequests that are a little bit unusual. Most of us say, yeah, my kids or my spouse or whoever will inherit what I own. They will get that financial legacy. Other people have seen things differently throughout history. For example, one man named Jonathan Jackson. Uh, He died in 1880. And the source that I looked at said this about his will. For his part, he left his fortune to be used in the creation of a house for cats, where cats would have bedrooms a gym, a dining hall, and an auditorium where they could listen to live music. The house would also have a specially designed roof for climbing. So he decided, this is my legacy. Cats will have a place where they can work out, they can listen to music, they can live, they can love, they can have a great life as long as they're around. That's what I want my legacy to be. Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, in his will, requested that his beard be shaved and the hair distributed amongst his friends. So that's fantastic, right? What a great gift to give to those who love you, a lock of your beard. Uh, Fred Bauer, more modern person, uh, the inventor of the Pringles can. That's what he's best known for. So he invented that cylindrical can in which those funny little chips go. Uh, He decided he wished to be cremated and his ashes buried in a Pringles can. And in fact, he was. Uh, Mark Grunewald, one of the editors of Iron Man and Captain America, uh, also wanted to be cremated, but he wanted his ashes mixed with the ink that they used to print the comic books and distribute it out. Yuck, right? Uh, if you have read any of those comic books, it's possible that a piece of Mark Grunewald is within, all right? So people have all kinds of ideas of this is what my legacy is going to be. And maybe, again, you've thought about that, not just financially, but also in terms of your life, in terms of the values that you want to pass on to those who are coming behind you, whether that's your kids or your grandkids or your community or those that you work with. And you say, if I'm remembered for anything, I want it to be this. This is my legacy. Those who know Jesus Christ would probably say, I want my legacy to be that I live a life that testifies to the grace of God in Jesus. But a lot of times we wonder, how can I accomplish that? What are the things that I need to do now in order to leave that kind of a legacy behind? You're definitely going to leave some kind of legacy when you die. Whether it's a few people who remember you for something or many, your life will have a tone that people will say, this is what he or she was about. Uh, For those who are students, it may be that you're not yet at the point where you're thinking about uh, what will your life 
legacy be 50, 60, 70 years from now? You might think smaller at the moment. What will my legacy be when I leave A&M? When I leave Blinn? What will my friends remember me for? I'd even encourage you to begin to start thinking about how can I set patterns to leave behind a legacy that matters? For those who are older, you've begun to think about that, but you might be going, I don't know how to leave the legacy that I want to. Blake finished up last week a series on the character of Gideon from the book of Judges. And those who were here will remember that Gideon did not finish well. He started well. He helped deliver God's people from the Midianites. But he didn't finish well because in his final years, he decided to invest his life in earthly power and in money. And he was greedy and he was selfish. And he left a terrible legacy for his kids and his grandkids and his nation. A destructive legacy that caused them problems for generations. We're going to look this morning at the life of a man who left a godly legacy. The Apostle Paul. It's interesting, Paul had no kids or grandkids. And yet he left behind a legacy that still affects us to this day. Because he devoted his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 20, we read Paul's speech to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Paul had ministered to this church for three years during his third missionary journey. And then he had gone on to serve other communities and other churches. And on his way back by Ephesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows that in Jerusalem, he's probably going to be arrested. He's probably going to be beaten. He's going to face all kinds of difficulties. But he stops on the way to Jerusalem and he calls these elders of Ephesus together. And he says, I want you to remember the things that I gave my life to while I was among you. The things I taught about Jesus, the things I believe about Jesus, because this is my legacy. And you will know and serve Jesus Christ that he will be at the center of your life. And throughout his letters, book of Ephesians, book of Philippians, book of First and Second Timothy, <coughs> we see Paul reiterate, the purpose of my life is that I will know Jesus and I'll leave behind a trail of people who know and worship and follow Jesus and who represent him. That's the kind of legacy we're called to lead. So what are you investing in? This passage will challenge us to ask that question. Is it your career? Is it your portfolio? Is it your family? Is it your relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Is it people in whom you can build a legacy that will last forever? What are you really investing in? We're going to look at a few characteristics from the life of Paul that allowed him to leave an eternal legacy behind him. Look at Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account 
as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's gold or silver or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So Paul gives this speech to these elders of Ephesus and in it we see his heartbeat and there are characteristics that allow him to leave a legacy, to leave behind a church that continues for generations, to leave behind men who follow Jesus Christ. And we begin by seeing this, that Paul was a man of humility. If you want to leave behind an eternal legacy, stay humble. Be a person of humility. Verse 19, he says, I served for three years with humility with humility and tears. Verse 24, I don't consider my life of any account except that I might finish what God has called me to do. In other words, Paul says, my life only matters to the extent that I'm able to pour it into exalting God, into lifting up God's name rather than mine. Paul says, my purpose in life is not that you'll remember Paul and go, Paul was great. Paul was smart. Paul was a great speaker. Paul was a great leader, a great whatever. He says, the purpose of my life is that God will be lifted up. And even as he says goodbye to them, he says, I know that you're in God's hands. You're not indispensable. You ultimately don't need Paul. You need Jesus. And he remained a person who was humble. We tend to think of humility as a characteristic that says, I'm so terrible. I can't dance. I can't sing. Poor dresser. Woe is me. That's not humility. Biblically, what humility is, is I properly assess myself in light of who God is, that God created me and the world. He's infinitely powerful. I am not. I'm a sinner. He is perfect and pure and holy. And God made me and called me to his purposes. And so instead of investing my life in getting other people to like me and finding ways to get my name out there, In finding ways to advance my mission, I say, I want to invest in the mission of Jesus Christ. That people will know he died for me and for them and rose again. And that the spirit of God can transform those who will follow him, follow Jesus Christ. That's what I want my life to be about. Romans 12 says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but instead with sober judgment. 
in light of who God is and the task he's called us to. Why is that so important for leaving a legacy? Because if I can't get past myself. If I'm constantly thinking about myself, then I'm gonna have a hard time thinking about the mission of God and how great he is and how he cares for others. Paul was able to leave a legacy because he cared less about people knowing Paul and more about people knowing Jesus. Never forget the first funeral at which I officiated. Uh, it was while I was in seminary. I was about 25 years old. And I had asked the pastor at the church we were going to in Dallas if he knew of any opportunities for me to minister and serve, a wedding, a funeral, opportunities to teach, if he would just hand them in my direction, if there was anything they weren't able to do or thought that I would be able to do. The pastor calls me one day and he says, there's a funeral opportunity A man in the community has died. He did not have a home church. Our church happened to be the closest to this particular funeral home. So they just called the church and said, is there a pastor that could come officiate at this man's funeral? He was not a Christian. He did not know the Lord. And the pastor at my church said, would you go and do this funeral? Great opportunity, hard opportunity. I walked into that funeral home and I began to talk to this man's family and particularly to his wife. And I said, well, tell me about your husband. What kinds of things do you want people to know about him? Who was he? And she said, well, there's a song that I want us to play at the funeral. The song is called, I Want to Talk About Me by Toby Keith. That odd selection. And as we talked, the reason she chose this song, and I'm not making this up. The reason she chose this song, she said he was was vain. Everything was always perfect. His hair was perfect. His mustache was always just right trimmed perfectly, groomed neatly. He liked to talk about himself. And so that was the song we thought was appropriate at his funeral. Up at the front of the church, beautiful picture of the man. Perfect hair, perfect mustache. Very few people there to see it. And as I did that funeral, I thought, dear God, please turn my life in a different direction from this. I pray, let me leave a legacy that will point to Jesus Christ. Had the opportunity to attend a memorial service for one of my seminary professors earlier this year, uh, Howard Hendricks, seminary professor who had an impact on tens of thousands of students and taught them how to study the word of God and how to minister and great quote that I ran across from Prof. Hendricks. I think the reason God has used me is that by his grace, the Holy Spirit has developed in me an incurable confidence in his ability to transform people. It's not about my name. It's about the fact that God is powerful. Jesus died and rose again. And I want to invest my life in that. Years ago, I read a great book, uh, a leadership book uh, on business leadership that many of you have read. It's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And in that book, he talks about the kind of leaders that leave a lasting impact on an organization. And you would think that naturally it would be uh, men you know, guys like Donald Trump or Iacocca or whoever it is. And he says, actually, it's just the opposite. The people who have truly transformed organizations are people whose names you've probably never heard. He calls them level five leaders. And he says, these are ambitious men but they're ambitious for the good of the people around them and the organization in which they serve. And so they push and they push not to get their name in the papers, but to make this organization the best it can be. And they have a lasting impact far beyond their tenure as CEO. That's humility. If you want to have that kind of lasting impact, remain humble. If anybody had the right 
to seek a claim, it was Paul. And he says that in Philippians 3. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's one of the great teachers and leaders in the nation of Israel. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the best Jewish teachers of his day. Paul knew the law. He practiced the law. He was at the top of the social ladder. And yet he says, I counted all of it but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and know him. That was humility that allowed him to leave that legacy. Decide today if you want to leave a legacy. Your life is not about you. It's about promoting the kingdom of God and the greatness of Jesus Christ. So stay humble. Secondly, love sincerely. Love sincerely. See that Paul really loves these people as he talks to the men in Ephesus. Says he serves them, verse 19, with tears. He cried as he labored over them that they would know the gospel. Verses 26 to 27, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He cared about them enough to tell them everything that God had sent them to tell them, even though it was hard to do at times. Verse 31, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And then as he departs, these men cry and weep over Paul because they're sad to see him go because of the impact he's left. He invested in their lives. He really loved them. He didn't just give lip service to the concept of love, but he endured hardship for them. He worked for them. He trained them how to know Jesus. He lived with them. Even when they were pagans, even when they were running away from Jesus Christ and worshiping idols, Paul loved them. All of us have had teachers that we knew cared for us and all of us have had teachers that we knew did not I can remember one teacher from junior high. She was actually a substitute teacher. I don't remember her name. I do remember we called her the general, not to her face, uh, but only when she was not in the room. Uh, The general had been a substitute teacher for who knows how long, 30 years. We called her the general because uh, she was strict, legalistic, unkind, and yelled at us a lot. And I don't remember her name, but I remember that we did not really want to learn much from this woman. And we didn't learn much. She gave us worksheets, which we deemed not important, right? Now, we were in seventh grade, so our judgment may have been skewed, right? (laughs) But we didn't sense that she cared. So we didn't learn. And on the other hand, I can name teachers from junior high and high school that I remember people who influenced my life. I remember Mr. Timmy and Mr. Taylor and Dr. Nelson and these men that invested their lives, not just in the material, and they didn't just try to get through the day and get us to leave them alone. But they invested their lives in training us. And they changed our lives. And all of us have teachers like that. That's the difference between giving lip service to love and truly loving. That's what Paul did for these people. He said, I want to draw close to them and know them. For a couple of years when I was small, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, I liked animals, at least I liked pictures of animals, and I liked seeing them at least from a distance because they seemed warm and fuzzy. But at some point, it occurred to me that if I was going to be a veterinarian, I was going to have to get up close and actually deal with diseases and blood and all kinds of stuff that I didn't really want to be a part of. Because in theory, I liked animals, but the reality is that I didn't really like the mess of it. On the other hand, my wife is a true animal lover. Uh, She loves them. She and my daughters feed all the neighborhood cats. They put out food on a regular basis and all the cats come and they eat. 
Uh, That's beyond the level at which I prefer to go. Uh, In theory, I like cats. I think they deserve to eat from time to time, but I'm not actually (laughs) going to invest my money and my time in feeding them. That's the difference between loving in theory and loving in practice. Paul loved in practice. He gave his time, he gave his life, he gave his energy, his heart to these people. When we looked at the person of Jonah a few weeks ago, if you got to the end of the story of Jonah, you know that Jonah didn't really love the people of Nineveh. He preached the mercy of God, but he didn't really want them to experience it, did he? And when God showed them mercy, Jonah was upset, angry. I knew you would do this. You're always so nice, God, always so merciful. Couldn't you just wipe them out? Jonah didn't really love them. If you want to leave a legacy, it requires moving toward people, even people that we find offensive, frustrating, people who say and do things or live a lifestyle that we disagree with. And sharing with them that Jesus died and rose again so they can have life and God loves them. Even if I don't really like them that much. Paul's love was not The love of our culture either that just says, hey, do whatever you want and it's okay, even if it tosses you into destruction. It's not the love that says to a toddler, yeah, rubber cement, you want to eat it? Great, whatever, man. Instead, it's the love that says there is one God and the only way to know him is through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul loved these people enough to tell them that. He loved sincerely. And that kind of love allows him to leave a legacy behind of love. These people followed Jesus Christ because they saw Jesus Christ modeled in the life of Paul. So he stayed humble. He loved sincerely. He also leave an eternal legacy by persevering when things get difficult. Persevering through trials. At every stage of his ministry, Paul experiences persecution. Everywhere he goes. Ephesus was no different. He had experienced persecution from his own people, the Jews, who wanted to arrest him. And as he heads to Jerusalem, he says in verses 22 to 23, he knows he's going to experience affliction and hardship. And he did. He was arrested. He was eventually put in jail. And he goes to Rome to appeal to Caesar to get out. And if you know the story of Paul, eventually Paul is martyred. He is killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet he says, I will endure those trials because the message of Jesus Christ is more important to me even than my own life. And life will get difficult. Just because you're a human being, life is difficult. All of us will experience the normal trials of life, whether it's financial difficulty or health problems or kids who just won't obey or friends who betray us. If you know Jesus Christ, you have added trials, believe it or not, because you're pursuing Jesus in a world that is often hostile to his values. And the reality is that many simply give up. They say, I don't need the extra aggravation on top of everything else that's going on. If you've walked with God for long, you know you have friends who have departed from walking with Jesus because it was tough. When I was about seven or eight, my older brother and I and a couple of friends decided that we were going to dig a hole in our backyard that would go through to China. That was our plan. Some of you have tried this. And uh, so we began one morning and we dug for a couple hours. We got a few inches down into the soil. It was hot. It was summer. So it took us a while. And then mom called us into lunch. Came out after lunch and we started again. We got a couple more inches down. Then mom called us into dinner. And we quickly realized it was going to be hard. It was going to take a long time to get to China in between meals. So we modified our plan 
And our plan was not to go to China, but we were going to build like a little cave under the ground, like a little hobbit hole where we would go down and we were going to bring sofas and we were going to bring a TV and we were going to have this set up and we would just go under there and it would be like our little underground clubhouse. So we began to dig and we thought this won't take nearly as long. Now, if you live in Texas, you know what happened pretty quickly. Uh, We hit the clay and we could not dig any further with the tools that we had available to us. So we got two or three feet down into the soil and there the hole remained for years, a monument to our failure. We quit. I'm sure my parents loved that hole in the backyard. Uh, We gave up. Many of us will be tempted to simply give up walking with Jesus because it's hard. And it's not as if you wake up one morning and just say, I'm going to just chuck the whole thing. Instead, day by day, as things get hard, people drift away until they find themselves no longer close to Jesus. Paul perseveres well, I think, because moment by moment, day by day, he continues to rely upon the power of God's spirit. And he comes before God each day, I believe, and asks for the strength and the power to represent Jesus. The men and women that I know who persevere well, that's how they do it. One day, one moment at a time setting patterns and habits that allow them to follow Jesus Christ. So that when Paul gets to the end of his life, he can look back in 2 Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He looks back and he says, I finished well. Gideon and Jonah, neither of them, it seems, finished particularly well. Paul finished well the race God called him to do. Christian life is a marathon. I know some of us in here are on the front end of that marathon, particularly if you're a college student. It's not a one-year, a two-year, a three-year race. It is a lifelong race. And there will be moments where you, it gets hard and you're tempted to quit. So what do you do? wake up this morning. You say, God, I'm tempted to quit. I need your power from your spirit to keep going, to be kind, to be gracious, to share the gospel even when people reject me, to love even those who are difficult to be around, and to reflect Jesus Christ. Uh, I am not a huge runner from time to time in my life. I've picked up running and then put it back down again. Uh, But when I was consistently running, can remember that uh, if I started out the run and I thought I got to go two miles and I kept that fixed in my brain, I would invariably start walking before long because two miles is hard to fathom and it seems like a long distance. So what I would do is say, I just got to go to the next curb. Now to that street lamp. Now to the next curb. Now to that cat up there. Now wherever, right? (laughs) And I would just fix that next point. And step by step by step would finish the run. Uh, I spoke with a woman after the first service who said she used to run marathons. And she said, yeah, that was essentially her mental mindset when she was running. You know, she said there were times I'd get halfway through and go, I just want to quit. And her brain would say, just why am I doing this? This is dumb. Why am I running this long? Nobody should be doing this, right? And she said... She would get halfway through, but then she said she would remind herself, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep putting our feet 
one by one by one in front of the other. And we'll talk about how we feel while we run, but we're going to keep going to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. That's the marathon of the Christian life, one day at a time. You rely upon the power of God's spirit to reflect Jesus Christ. That allows you to persevere when things get difficult. So Paul perseveres. And then lastly, he preaches the word of God. Perseverance is difficult, but Paul continues to remind himself and others of the truth of God's promises written down in the word of God. Verses 20 to 21 says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Verse 31, remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul strongly believed that in the word of God was contained the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And so he continually directs people back to that. He says, if you will stay true to the word of God through the power of the spirit, then you will be able to run this race well and you will leave behind a legacy that testifies to the greatness of God because you're not out to proclaim your own opinion, your own truth, your own words, but instead God's word. And so whenever I think Paul is tempted to give up, whenever I think Paul is tempted not to love others, whenever he wants to exalt his own name, he goes back to the word of God. It says, this is where truth and life is found. When I began college, I was probably like many college students and that I had grown up in a church. I had heard the gospel and believe it or not, by the time I got to college, I kind of thought I had it figured out. I thought I had really heard everything. There weren't many stories in the Bible with which I was unfamiliar. And I thought, man, this whole Bible study thing is kind of leaving me cold. But what I didn't realize was that... uh, I had been hearing other people's filtered opinions of the scripture, but I had never really learned to dig into it and learn it from it on my own through God's power. At my senior year in college, I joined a Bible study here that actually was led by our now senior pastor who was one of the other pastors on staff. And he said, we're going to get into the word of God in 2 Timothy. And you're just going to look at it unfiltered. What does it say? What are the questions from the text? How will you apply it? And instead of spoon feeding, I said, I want you to read it, to study it, to pray over it. And I don't know if it was just that the spirit of God was particularly active in my heart, if it was a new way of looking at the scripture or a combination of both. But all of a sudden, as I studied Second Timothy, I became gripped by this concept of spiritual multiplication and this idea that my life exists to make disciples, to train and teach people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him. And the course of my life was changed because the word of God got into me. That's the power of God's word when God's spirit is active. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when I go to God's word, I read about the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. I thank him for it and his spirit empowers me to be merciful and gracious as he is. I read about his purity, his kindness, his generosity, his love. And because I know Jesus and his spirit is in me, I ask that he'll help me represent those qualities well. Day in 
and day out so I can leave a legacy of godly character for my kids, for my grandkids, for my community, my coworkers, my neighbors, so they might know Jesus Christ. So whenever I depart from the earth, they lay me in the ground. If I'm remembered at all, I pray it's as a man who pursues Jesus Christ and helps others pursue him as well. And whatever your vocation, whether you're an engineer or a professor, an accountant, a plumber, whatever it may be, your purpose and mission in life is to make disciples. That's how you leave behind an eternal legacy. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus Christ, you need to know that the only way to really have eternal life, the only way to have a life that will last forever, and the only way to leave behind any impact that will last forever is through Jesus. To know that he died to take away your sin. Your sin is your disobedience that separates you from God. Jesus died in your place. He rose again, defeating death, defeating sin. So you and I can have eternal life and know him. And it's on that basis that we're able to live lives that will last for eternity and leave an impact for eternity. For those that know Jesus Christ then, the question to ask this week is, what do you want your legacy to be? I encourage you, spend some time thinking about that, writing that down this week. What character qualities do I want to be remembered for? What do I want to define my life? You say, I want my life to be defined by making disciples, by helping people know Jesus Christ and walk with him. And the question becomes, how can I begin now to build that kind of a legacy? What do I need to do with my time to know the word of God, to spend time in prayer, to invest in other people, not just to build my career, not just to build my portfolio, not just to build my kingdom, but to build a, a group of men and women who will follow Jesus Christ because he's placed me here. That's our mission. So how can we begin to build a legacy now so we, like Paul, can look back and say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. So we can hear from our Savior, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's our prayer. And that's the legacy we want to leave. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it here this morning. We confess that we're often tempted to build our own kingdoms. We're often tempted to simply give up our walk with you because it's difficult. I pray you would give us the strength to endure. And through your spirit, give us the ability to leave a legacy of faithfulness, a legacy of disciples who will pursue Jesus Christ. Father, whether that's one person or a thousand, you've placed each of us in the role you have us in so we can influence those around us to know you. And I pray we would be faithful to that task. Father, we thank you We pray be with each of us as we go out now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.